And when it's impossible to leave the studio behind, Paul McCartney and Wings have found a way to carry it with them. What we used to do was we used to record in studios all the time, like everyone does, like good boys. But um, we just got fed up with it one day, and we just thought, well, if we could record out in the back garden or out in a barn we know or out on a boat somewhere, it'd be great if we could do it. But we thought, like most other people, that you can't do that kind of thing because it's too expensive and ridiculous. But actually, it works out about the same as normal studio costs and everything. This record, Back to the Egg, to get away from it and to make a change, we recorded in this old castle in Kent which is where like Thomas of Becket and all the old monks and all the old archbishops of Canterbury all used to live in the old days, you know. So it's got a great history to it and it's, uh, the vibes are sort of different than a normal studio. So when you go in there, it, it sort of tweaks you up a bit, you know, and your imagination gets a little bit freer. George Martin was McCartney's first producer. Paul discusses his only other producer in the next segment of the KHJ Wing special coming up after this. Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul, all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, hi, hi. And welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul, all of the time. I am, of course, your loyal as ever host, Sam Wiles, and my God, am I excited to bring you some more visual-based Paul McCartney podding here today, folks. Today, we're once again going to be playing catch-up with one of our several little side series on this podcast. Of course, our main focus is supposed to be on album reviews. Last time we did Pubs of Peace, Press the Play is coming up very soon, but I am always drawn to the various side stories in the McCartney narrative, with my focus, or maybe lack thereof, bringing me once again back to Paul McCartney's videography. So far, we've covered every promotional film clip that Paul has released since the Beatles' breakup in 1970, as well as a bonus episode where me and Matt Phillips broke down the Egypt Station music videos from last year. Also, in addition to that, I just spoke to Brantley Gutierrez, who directed the Who Cares music video, so check out all of those episodes if you haven't already. Though, as it happens, history has dealt us a different hand today. Rather than, as per usual, uh, on these episodes, rather than covering a selection of music videos over a period of years in chronological order, today we are going to be discussing a selection of music videos that were all created for the express purpose of advertising a single album. That album was, of course, Back to the Egg, and Paul slash MPL slash Apple put up the cash to have a total of eight music videos created for what was at the time, supposed to be McCartney's next smash hit punk slash new wave album. Yeah, it's not exactly how it actually worked out, but I for one am certainly looking forward to an entire episode of film clips with Lawrence Juba and Steve Holly looking slightly awkward and out of place. Of course, this episode is also really exciting for me, not just because it's an excuse to talk about wings in general, of course I snatch those opportunities whenever they arise, but also rather like the early part of wings era which we've been covering lately on this show, the latter part, the back to the egg era, is also not only a criminally underexplored part of wings history, but also a highly underrated one also. 
So, if you'd like visual media and back to the egg, this is the Venn diagram of episodes for you. But, before we dive into any of that, we need to address the matter of the housekeeping. Drop us an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. I love reading out the correspondence on the show. Please let me know your tangential and spurious McCartney stories. Have you seen him live? Do you play any of his instruments? Have you met him or anyone else related to the podcast? Maybe you have a song review of your own. Maybe you want to challenge one of mine. Maybe you just want to say hi. Drop us an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hit us up on the Twitter. That's the central hub for the show. That's having a lot of buzz and activity lately. I'm having a lot of fun with that. All of our general updates and whatever I like to post goes up there straight away. That's at McCartneypod on Twitter. Check out the blog for all sort of extra Paul or Nothing content, which is www.paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com There's always new content going up there, all extra articles and little things I can't quite fit on the show. Check us out on Facebook and YouTube simply by typing in Paul or Nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast. If you want to help the show and you've only got 30 seconds, then what you can do is leave us a five-star review on whatever podcasting site or app you are using. Leave us a thumbs up if you're on the YouTube as well. All of these little things, they do help out the show in a massive way in terms of sorting out the algorithms, gives us the exposure we need. So yeah, please leave us one of them. And finally, of course, if you like what I'm doing with the show here, if you've been enjoying Paul or Nothing and you'd like to help see the show expand and see it grow, or maybe you just want to help keep the lights running, then please consider checking out our Patreon page down below. That's www.patreon.com slash McCartneyPod. Patreon allows you, the public, to help support independent content creators like me. Of course, I do this show in my spare time whilst maintaining a full-time job. If you've ever felt appreciative for the work I put into the show and you feel like you might like to buy me a drink or a coffee one day, then please check out our Patreon page. That's the best way that you can actively help support me make this show better. Right, now that we've gotten all of the plugging out of the way, it's time for you folks to get your frying pans ready because we're going to be dealing with a lot of eggs. All yolks aside, this is the Back to the Egg TV special. Being someone who's discussed Metallica's hardwired to self-destruct on friend of the show Tom Quee's podcast Alpha Metallica, with that album being an album whereby every single song had a music video, it's actually not that shocking for me to cover some content like this. But still, it's pretty surprising to see Wings Mark V in 1979 put their money where their mouth is and really take the time to create something big and bold to promote this album. Obviously, we know history went a different way, but this is meant to be the launching pad for a gigantically successful new phase for Wings, in theory. Though, before I move on, if there were any other bands or groups at this time that had done something similar and had done so many music videos or a similar amount of music videos for a single project, please do email in at paulmccarnetpod at gmail.com. I'd love to know the answer. 
Now, whilst the notion of a band having a TV special may seem a little bit of a quaint notion nowadays, you have to remember that at the time this was created, there were significantly less avenues for media to get to the public at all, with a grand total of like three TV stations here in the UK and four or five ch channels in the USA. That guarantees any group or band that could get on TV in those days a base level impact and reach that you just cannot buy today. However, this is a double-edged sword though, as if it is good, it will indeed promote the album well, but if it sucks, uh, possibly for reasons outside of the music perhaps, then it may damage the image of the band or even harm record sales. It also has to be said that these TV specials would not have been cheap to make either. As Brantley Gutierrez pointed out in our interview, film reel cameras are expensive to run and they have money flowing through them. Just the amount of cash and capital it would take to fund a film like this with multiple takes for eight music videos is going to be enormous. It's going to set back any production company back a pretty penny. Again, especially back in 1979. Like, obviously, you want to keep it cheap so that the broadcaster's publishing rights will still give you some profit as well as some exposure, but it's an awful lot of work, it's very risky, and most importantly, it is not indicative of the behaviour of Paul McCartney that we kind of have come to know from this period. You know, the stereotype of the Back to the Egg era is that Paul was bored of the band at this point and he wasn't getting along with the new members. But that's not what we're going to see today at all. Clearly, we're still at the part where he has just recorded and mixed the album. He's very happy with what's going to be released. He's got all these young bandmates with a new image and he really wants to capitalise on all of this as a, that new era for Wings, which is going to lead to multiple upcoming tours. As interesting as this period is for me, though, it all still has a rather tragic air to it because, you know, Paul is so invested at this point and he really feels like the album's going to do well and Wings is going to go to new heights and all the singles are going to go to number one and just none of that's going to happen. But still, thank God he was so invested in this album because we get to see all of these great clips today. And trust me, there really are going to be some choice cuts here, folks. Of course, this was not the first TV special Wings had done, and, luckily for me, we are yet to review the admirably scattershot mess that is the James Paul McCartney TV special. We'll likely cover that in our film review side series, but for those of you who are fortunate enough to not have seen the James Paul McCartney TV special, it wasn't exactly a smash hit for the group. If anything, the film, to this day, perpetuates how confused the Wings' image and brand was until the likes of Band on the Run. That special, back in 72, being produced in such an unsure phase of Wings' career, featured the likes of Live and Let Die, as well as Beatles tunes, pub sing-alongs, these pop-vox formats of interviews and sing-songs with people on the street, as well as a fully rendered countryside version of Mary Had a Little Lamb. And it was so good, obviously, that it wasn't released in any format at all until the Wings box set from a couple of years ago. Though its wide availability on YouTube means I'm still going to have to do the episode. But Paul wasn't going to make the same mistake twice in terms of another TV presentation for Wings. Unfortunately, the circumstances of this new band play into this idea rather nicely, 
as we know, this is a new lineup of, of, the, of the band with a new image and a, a quote-unquote rocking sound. So for Paul to create an isolated package like this for this new type of Wings alongside this particular album does make sense as a pairing and as a collection. I mean, for many people, this would have been the first introduction to music from the Back to the Egg album. And now that we have a slightly more stable environment with the full band back to its five-piece, it does make sense now to push the marketing and the advertising of the band to kind of solidify this new phase. You know, Wings is dead, long live Wings. Of the eight tracks that do make an appearance on this special, one song does not, and... I am somewhat thankful for this. Uh, the song is the Rockestra theme with all of the Rockestra band. And instead of filming the whole process of putting that into place, all of that instead went into a documentary that was directed by Barry Chattington, a.k.a. the guy who also directed the Bruce McMahon show. See our episode on that. That documentary was filmed kind of both prior and concurrent to some of these filmed events going on here which is interesting again because it shows how invested Macca was in this whole period and how much of a push was being made. Unfortunately for me, it just results in a glut of content from this period. The filming for the eight short films were conducted by Keith and Co, with the titular Keith being a rather elusive yet influential figure in the early days of the British music video format, with his credits including Kate Bush, Blondie and Motorhead. Keith, a.k.a. Keith McMillan, had previously directed the video for I've Had Enough, which, now that I think about it, makes total sense now, as the Back to the Egg band actually feature in that video, despite it being a London Town single. You know, this guy is a reliable figure who is fucking deep in the McCartney circle, and despite losing two versions of Wings, Paul would loyally work with Keith again and again, with the filming of the concert for Campuchia, with the videos for Coming Up and Waterfalls the next year, Ebony and Ivory in 83, as well as the videos for Pipes of Peace and No More Lonely Nights in 84, making him the most prolific McCartney music video collaborator, which is quite the credit to have, if you ask me. Unfortunately, I would have loved to have spoken with this guy, but he sadly passed away in 2012. Still, can't wait to talk about his work when we get into the individual videos themselves, as he seems like a man who was extremely proficient in doing a lot with seemingly very little indeed. The album itself, Back to the Egg, had finished recording by February of 79 and was due for a summer release on June 8th. Though filming for all of this palaver that we're going to discuss today actually began on June the 4th, only four days before the album's actual release. So potentially this means that either this special was meant to come out sooner both in the US and the UK, maybe to coincide with its summer release, or maybe it was because some of the videos needed certain weather conditions. Who knows? You know, they were just on a back-to-the-egg roll at this point, weren't they? Anyway, as I was saying, filming began on the 4th of July at Limpin Castle in Kent, where Wings had recorded... We're Open Tonight, Love Awake, After the Ball, Million Miles, Reception and The Broadcast, only a few months earlier. The video shot that day, however, was not any of those songs, and instead the track chosen was Old Siam Sir, with filming taking place in the Castle Hall. On the 5th of June, the production relocated inside of an air hangar, which was quite close to the castle, 
Here, the band filmed clips for Spin It On and Getting Closer. It was also noted that day that uh, a chap named Mark Williams, who wrote for Melody Maker, was invited to sniff around and hopefully drum up a bit of uh, excitement and publicity for the special. And he later on reported that Wings actually gave a couple of impromptu live performances, quote, entertaining what appears to be half of the population of East Kent, who wander in and out of aircraft hangars and fields of kale where the action takes place. Hardly the locked-down, security-ridden set that we picture on a modern Paul McCartney music video. I mean, if phone cameras existed back then, there would be all sorts of leaks from the Back to the Egg TV special. You know, we'd be clamouring for them. Speaking of fields, also on the 5th of June, the video for Again and Again and Again was filmed in one of said nearby fields. Then, pulling a, a real all-nighter, really, the band and the crew shot further scenes for the Getting Closer music video, which includes driving up and down the airstrip in their little van. The next day, on the 6th of June, the production returned to Limpin Castle, where Wings filmed Winter Rose, Love Awake. On the 8th of June, the band set up shop in the Camber Sands and put on their military uniforms in East Sussex to shoot the video for Baby's Request. And then actually still had time later on that day to zoom all the way down to London for the Back to the Egg press launch. After a five-day break, on the 13th of June, now at Keith & Co's London Studios, everyone reconvened to shoot the video for Arrow Through Me, shoot additional footage for the Getting Closer music video, which I'm not sure what that was. Perhaps it's a certain close-ups and stuff, maybe. And this is also where the filming for the opening and closing segments for the TV special had to be filmed as they needed a set. More details on that later, though. After five months in the editing room, presumably, the special was finally released in November of 79 in the USA, with continued showings being syndicated right through December of the same year. This may seem a bit late, perhaps being, like again, five or so months since the album's actual release. But I am sure the logic was that our Wings were looking to push this as a Christmas release, you know, to drum up sales around that time of the year, like he's done with so many of his other albums. The special was then shown in the UK, thankfully not on some defunct TV station that no longer exists, but on the motherfucking BBC. However, the timing of this broadcast was even more off as not only did it not coincide with Wings selling back to the egg as a potential Christmas seller, but also it failed to coincide with Wings being a band that existed in the real world at all. Yeah, the final broadcast date in the UK was the 10th of June 1981, which was long after Paul's drug bust in Japan and the official breakup of the band. Like, yeah, Denny Lane was still hanging around, but the tug-of-war sessions are only six months away by this point, so mm, kind of missed the ball there, guys. <laughs> I mean, I have no idea why the BBC would have delayed it for so long. Maybe it was down to contracts or publishing rights, but, you know, even though Paul's name does have marquee value, didn't the guys at the BBC know that this wasn't a band at this point? Was Paul and MPL, perhaps, on the other hand, pulling the wool over the BBC's eyes? Was this another part of the reason why, you know, the breakup of Wings was so slow and unsure? You know, were there other things that Wings had to get tied up first? But yeah, enough of that. That was everything I could possibly tell you about the backstory to the production of these music videos. And now that we have done our homework, 
we can finally just sit back and watch some TV with the Back to the Egg TV special. So the opening little stinger for the beginning of this special opens on wings in a living room in the very, very familiar Back to the Egg pose. You know, they are looking out of the hatch down at the earth. Anyone who is familiar with the work of hypnosis will love this shot. You know, it is the exact same composition, almost to the degree where it looks like it was shot on the same day as the original album cover. And then the homage comes to life and we see Wings stand up, close the hatch, roll the carpet over the hatch, walk to the back wall, kind of stand there silently in the dark, and then do all of that in reverse. You know, walk up, roll back the carpet, open the hatch, lie down in the same back to the egg pose, and then look down at the same clip of the earth again. The whole thing is terribly stilted and confusing for me. All of the, all of the, all of the movements are, are really odd. I don't know what the point is. I don't know why it necessarily opens anything. Like, maybe if they were, you know had looked down the second time and seen Limpin Castle or something like that, you know? So don't, so don't something that literally connected it and maybe the whole TV special was, quote-unquote, the gods watching from above, which I guess this is. But it's just so goddamn strange and nothing about its meaning or intent is conveyed to the audience well at all. It's also a bit quiet as well, like we really could have used the reception playing here or something. But the image itself is undeniably very, very strong and they really sell you the idea of, you know, exploring reality and spacefaring from your very living room. And hey, the band recreating the album cover is a novelty in of itself. Uh, even though it barely has any connection to anything going on. In fact, just before I begin, I probably should point out, unlike, say, the Bruce McMahon show, there is going to be no connective tissue between any of these clips that we're going to see here. Unlike the concert film, where, you know, the fact that it is one recording is, you know, a connected tissue in itself, even if there are edits here, we are going to get what is instead just one long sequence of music videos, one after the other. It does keep the format simple in that audiences could tune in and out at any time. But again, it, it means you've got to totally sell the audience on the music and the visuals, which is a tall feat for any version of Wings. Anyway, let us begin. Getting closer. As we transition from the opening stinger, we can hear what is clearly an overdubbed effect of some roaring, cheering crowds. And with a mighty guitar strike, we are introduced to the opening video for the special, as well as the first true track of the Mother album itself. This is Getting Closer. Say you don't love him, my salamander.
even though the track listing for the album and TV special were not congruent and do not match whatsoever after this first song, we all knew that Paul was going to choose Getting Closer to start this whole thing off, as he, for some reason, was really invested in this song at this period, in being the big single from the album. I mean, whilst I may not be this song's biggest fan, go see my Back to the Egg ep- episode, the logic of you know sequencing it here and using it as a big, bold, brash starter does work. You know, people at this point might still think Paul is still doing silly love songs, and we kick it off with a rocker here. And all I can say is, at least he had enough sense to realise that Goodnight Tonight is a much better song, and not to sink too much of the project's budget into this opening number. It's overall a rather standard affair, really, with the old the band just mind the song in an empty room style of music video, which I suppose was done in order to just capture this hot new band absolutely shredding, at least in theory. The lion's share of Getting Closer features the band playing in a disused air hangar near Limpin Castle, and whilst the stage setup that they have in this hangar is admittedly pretty respectable, with a full complement of amps, lights, smoke, instruments, cables, mics, etc., what is still sorely missing, though, is an audience. Like, there's no footage of reaction shots from the crowd whilst the band are playing. Like, they, they really go all out to do this top-tier, top-of-the-pops clip, but they forget to actually show people enjoying the music the same as the people enjoying the music at home. And then when you throw in those disconnected, uh, audibly edited applauses, it does highlight the disconnect between the band and this void they are playing to, which is a little bit distracting for me. Not that anyone at the time would have noticed, I imagine. Either they would have still been hooked from the start, left bemused by the infamous Salamander lyric, or just impressed that televisions exist at all at this point in history. The other footage, filmed the next night, features the band driving up and down country lanes and the airstrip in the pitch black, trying to get to... somewhere? Yeah, there's really not much of a story to this video, and I'm not quite sure whether this van stuff is meant to kind of thematically link up with the with the travelling group or the, you know, flicking through the radio theme from the album, or is it just a cheap visual gag to sync up with the windscreen wipers line in the track? Which it does. Eh, who knows? Either way, both ideas are kind of rubbish. What it does do, though, is still break up the texture of the video nicely, and the footage of Wings supposedly driving when it's clearly a, a stationary bus being rocked by off-camera stage crew is wonderfully camp and silly, as you might hope. The band themselves, much to my surprise, don't look half bad at all, though. Paul in particular now sporting a much shorter, mulletless haircut and a dark grey suit jacket does look rather dashing, whilst also kind of gaining that more mature McCartney look at the same time. Each member of the group also gets their quick spotlight close-up throughout the song, possibly more so than any other incarnation of the band, actually. And again, this is shown that Paul isn't planning on making the same mistakes twice with this version of Wings. We get to see Steve Holly do his, do his dramatic fills, Lawrence Juba rocking up and down on his guitar, Denny messing around, which is something we're going to see throughout all of these videos. And... Of course, Linda mugging for the camera in a way that would, of course, make her husband proud. One thing I will say about this video, though, is that the camera work is actually pretty top-notch. No, really, it is. The lack of crowd or extras means that Keith is able to 
get some pretty fancy equipment like, you know, tracking dollies and cranes to get in some really cool money shot gliding takes and these fluid camera movements, which you could tell someone had a load of fun shooting. Like, there are these great pans across the whole band that get them all in frame and make them look really professional and epic. And then the editing is really smooth and well-timed with the music and the flashing lights. Again, it's a shame it's in service of this particular song, but even at this early point in the special, I was already pretty confident that at least the directional side of this project would be in good hands. Importantly though, and this is really key for an, an intro to a, a music TV special, the band actually just looked professional. Everyone looked like they're genuinely trying to have fun and that they all actually want to be there, which is a pretty fresh and new experience for me and you on this show. Like, yeah, the video itself is pretty par for the course in 1979, really. You know, we've come a long way since the Beatles were just sat on a bike in 1964, pedalling away. But as far as a low-budget opener to the Back to the Egg TV special, it does the job all right enough. I can't be too harsh. Plus, I know for a fact that there are loads of you out there who absolutely love getting closer, and I may as well get my audience pandering out of the way early on this episode. Baby's request! Then, with a very awkward edit, as the van whizzes by one last time, we cut to what I'm guessing is supposed to be some sort of far-off, exotic desert land. But it's actually the Camber Sands in East Sussex, UK, with Baby's request. Here we go. This is a little more up my street. We have a song I like, a video I like, and a whole lot of Paul McCartney mugging for the camera. Though, rather serendipitously, as I just sat down to write these notes, I had just seen the new, somewhat overrated, Sam Mendes World War I film, 1917. So with that being said, I was already well versed in the idea of a big budget wartime production done in a single take. And what did I see before me in Baby's Request? A reasonably big-budget wartime production done in a single take. I mean, it wouldn't be quite the same as watching Paul starring in 1917, walking across no man's land being shot at by the Germans. And it's not even as fun as seeing Paul walk across no man's land in the Pubs of Peace music video whilst playing football with the Germans. But as a little concept video, oh, this, this is so awesome. And they do an awful lot with what they have here. Baby's Request is, again, quote-unquote, set in some sort of far-off desert outpost for the World War II-era British Army, and there is a performance stage set up for them there. Think of, like, old USO shows, stuff like that. And around them is a whole assortment of equipment, tanks, sandbags, weapons, jeeps, trucks, the whole shebang. And it's all fantastic window dressing for Wings themselves, who are playing on stage. Though I must emphasise it's just the band. Paul isn't on stage with them. With Paul, <laughs> and I only just noticed this the last time I watched it, being cast in the role of 
the officer or the commander, aka the leader. Hmm. Anyway, the setting of this video matches the era that the song is trying to evoke so perfectly. And it also makes sense within the logic of the video, like within that world, for the band to be playing this song. And as Wings are performing Baby's Request on stage, the shtick is, is that Paul, who saunters into the video from his captain's car, is literally just singing and serenading the live band to literally play his Baby's Request. As you do. You know, it's pretty simple, but it's well done and it's cute. And for me, that's enough. Plus, seeing Paul surrounded by army paraphernalia can only remind me of the Beatles' iconic performance of The Night Before on Salisbury Plain in the film Help, which is never a bad thing to do. Going back to that one tracking shot, though, yeah, shout out and kudos to Keith and Co on this one. I was not expecting a single tracking shot on Paul for the entirety of this music video, or in any of the music videos from today's selection, but that is indeed what we do get. Keith is obviously, again, getting his money's worth out of that crane he's hired for this project, and once more is having loads of fun riding it up and down as we glide past Paul and the band, as well as the soldiers watching the performance and weaving in and out of all the equipment. I mean, it was probably mostly improvised on the day, and maybe there were several takes done with a few flubs, but it all comes across as pretty effortless in the final product, and Paul is always blocked and framed perfectly, everyone seems to hit their beats and their marks, we get nice shots of everyone in the band, and the whole thing actually feels like an actual music video. Another point I have to draw attention to is that we actually do get a fucking audience watching this show this time around. It might only be a dozen soldiers at the most, but it's something to say the least, and it does sell the effect infinitely more. Something that I found particularly funny in this video, something that really stuck out to me, was the fact that it's Linda McCartney, uh, who's the one who's playing bass for the band. And not only that, but it's like a giant fucking upright bass, which she naturally looks so unnatural playing. I know you want Linda facing the camera, unlike Denny, who is borderline facing away from the camera at the piano, and that no one on set that day foresaw me picking it apart on the internet 41 years later. But Linda isn't even attempting to convincingly pluck the bass for her close-up. And, you know, it just makes me smile seeing her fingers not move at all. Though, on the single sleeve for High 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 and Sea Moon, or one of them at least, Linda is also seen playing the bass on that. So maybe this is a running wings joke. There's also another bit that I can't quite tell if it's planned or not, where Paul is leaning on Denny's piano as he's playing, and then Paul takes the hat that he has in his hand and kind of pops it on Denny's head to wear. And there's this bit where Denny almost looks like he's been thrown off his mark a little. And he has to start playing the piano again rather quickly after giving his sarcastic thumbs up. Maybe this was a, a bit of improv from Paul as he waltz through the same scene for the umpteenth take. I don't know. Still, this is some fantastic stuff. And the raw footage itself is undeniably some of the strongest in the entire project. But in terms of creating a TV special that's going to sell Wings as this rock band, this new young, new wave band, to album buying audiences, you know, with hindsight being what it is, it does make it seem rather strange that they would choose Baby's Request as the second song in this special. Yeah, of course, if the footage is the strongest and it's some of the most well-executed stuff and you want to break up maybe two videos that are just the band playing to the camera. It does make sense more filmically, but 
I'm not sure if the youth of 1979, after one rocker, are going to put up with one of Paul's granny tunes, no matter how good the idea for the music video may or may not be. I'm just picturing people flipping over to a different channel already. And this is coming from a guy who absolutely loves this music video, folks. And I know probably Paul wanted to make a show that had something for the whole family. But in terms of selling that album, maybe both of the ballads could have been placed a little later on. Maybe as palate cleansers. Or another option would just be to not do them at all. And maybe do To You and So Glad To See You Here and make it one big chaotically loud and raucous TV special. That would be badass. But I can see kind of what they were going for here. And maybe it's because of my association with Baby's Request as the album closer. But this video here would have been great as the final little stinger. In that kind of, take care folks, see you next time kind of way. Either way, back to my main point, which is the fact that I absolutely adore this little clip. And when I watch it on its own, as its own separate thing, that affection is even greater. It's a video whose premise, sentiment and execution is, for better or worse, exactly the same as the song it is presenting. I for one love Baby's Request, I love Paul's granny music, that kind of thing. And I get to enjoy this footage without any of that context or baggage that would have been surrounding it in 1979. And without all of that, it's just a really fun music video. Old Siam, sir! Next up on the Back to the Egg TV special, we have even more fake crowd applause for the transition as we cut back to inside the main hall of Limpin Castle with Old Siam, sir. A video that I am oh so glad it exists just for how exaggeratedly silly and over the top the whole thing is. Which is rather like the song itself, I guess. Something that I did want to point out though before I carry on with this is that for the longest time I knew many if not all of the clips that we're looking at today as separate music videos on YouTube and this was the very first one that I saw. Old Siam Sir back in the day was my gateway song onto Back to the Egg as an album and ever since I've become very familiar indeed with this thrown together footage of Paul and the gang jumping around this grand castle hall. Is that going to work in the benefit of this music video? Mm, we'll see. Because we're only on the third track now and we're already back onto another video where it's just the band performing the song in a different location. Though at least this time the location is admittedly a bit more interesting. Though the trade-off is it's a little more cramped and confined, so picky poison. It's still got that same level of high production as Getting Closer and features a similar setup of instruments, amps, as well as that same colour palette and light display with even the old ornate windows of the castle being quote-unquote stained by uh, all these bright lights and colours. It all looks great, but clearly the hall wasn't as big as they thought it was going to be once they put all the stuff in. 
And the result is the video being very restricted to a couple of close-up shots of the band with very little room for group shots or even a variety of unique camera angles. Like, yeah, it's a pretty cool idea for a setting, but it almost feels like they were originally meant to play somewhere else in the castle. So maybe this space is all they had. And the fact that the entire video takes place in this one locale only makes it feel all the more cramped and in desperate need of some breathing space. Again, how much praise or critique can you heap onto a video where it's just the band playing their instruments again? But even though I do like this song a little bit more, I must say the quality of the filmmaking is a noticeable step down from getting closer, which felt much more slick and sleek and was broken up by other footage. And it is clear that the setting, the actual space filmed for this video is hampering its creativity at almost every turn. But again, this is all pretty par for the course in 1979. I'm sure the novelty of seeing them play old Siamsa on the TV was fun enough. And I guess it's not totally unreasonable for four out of the eight of these music videos to be just the band playing their instruments, but it's actually gonna be more than that. And they are gonna be shown one after the other after the other, and it's the same band rather than say MTV, which is loads of music videos in a row of different bands. It could risk coming across as very stale very quickly. Back to the plus side though, this video does feature more excellent footage of this incarnation of the band. We get more close-ups again, very un-Wings Mark One, and it opens up for some fun interactions as they spontaneously bop around in that kind of semi-pre-rehearsed way. The video features loads of dueling electric guitar moments, and this of course is a great moment for Lawrence Juba and Denny Lane to be a really fun twosome messing around in front of the camera whilst mining all these silly solos. You know, Denny's probably done this a million times by now, and he's almost showing Lawrence Juba live on tape how to cut loose and play up to the camera. Like, they do all sorts of turns and spins and silly poses and faces. It's pure crap music video bliss for me. We also get to see Steve Holly doing some of his best stage drummer routines in a very kind of Phil Collins way. We're also treated to a very important shot in this music video. It's so important it's brought up a couple of times, and that's a close-up of Linda's fingers playing the memorable keyboard riff in a way that is almost meant to prove to viewers that she is indeed playing on this one, as opposed to her fake bass skills in the last video. Though on that note, out of all of the songs that could have had some sort of really silly over-the-top music video idea, isn't Old Siamsa the prime candidate? Like, now that I think about it, whatever they would have made would have most certainly have been completely culturally insensitive by today's standards, and God knows what offensive imagery may have worked its way into the final product. But this video could have done so much more, especially since some of the locations spoken about in the song were not that far away. And folks, do not worry, I am not going mad. I am not deriding wings for not going to Siam, aka Thailand, to film one of these cheap little music videos. But I am going to deride them for not going to Walthamstow or Scarborough. So yeah, I'll say I'm sir. It is a song that I, you know, I have grown less fond of it recently. And this very cookie cutter, by the numbers music video, no matter how much fun the band themselves may be having on set, offers little to me outside of its uber specific and kitsch historical value. Winter Rose, Love Awake. 
And what better way to start a tender McCartney ballad than with more fanfare fakery? The cheers then thankfully fade out as we open on a very pretty shot indeed of Olympian Castle itself, which will be the setting for our next music video, or music videos, depending on how you might look at it, for Winter Rose Love Awake. It's incredibly strange that this song, these songs, would be chosen for this special, but thank God they were, because Winter Rose Love Awake is low-key one of my favourite moments from that album. People tend to look to Back to the Egg as this redemptive piece that shows McCartney as a rocker, but I've always been more drawn to the groovy numbers like Arrow Through Me and the ballads like this and Baby's Request. Though, pushing all of that positivity to the side for one moment, I'll bring back up everything I mentioned while speaking about Baby's Request. Once again, I know that this is meant to break up the show for everyone at home and maybe give mum and dad something, you know, to kind of spare them from the onslaught of all of these rockers, but I don't see why the first four songs had to be structured in this way, especially since the next four tracks on this special are the most youthful contemporary songs put out for it. It's like the Abbey Road case where side A was originally meant to be side B and side B was originally meant to be side A. I mean, it's nice that I personally get these two songs so early in this special. You know, the fact they appeal to my personal McCartney niche. And yeah, I probably shouldn't be complaining. But objectively, they feel out of sequence. And the whole structuring of this special seems kind of randomly thrown together and the quality of both the songs and the music videos themselves should have been better spread out throughout this. It definitely feels weighted at the beginning and end, and this middle section that we're going through here is definitely going to start dragging, and we're going to start feeling the length. But yeah, onto the video itself. And one of the things you'll notice about this is that this is the first video that's actually going to take advantage of the natural beauty of the scenery and area around Limpin Castle, which is an obvious move for any cinematographer. And the opening shot that features the castle and its grounds with all the green grass is, is beautiful. It's a lovely image. And as I'm watching it, I'm suddenly thinking, wait, hang on, from, from the clips that I've seen previously of this, there was snow and this is winter rose. What's gonna happen here? And then, like magic, with this fancy old dissolve effect, we go from like kind of like late summer autumn to winter. Now, in the static shot of the castle, the effect is sold pretty well, and I was wondering if there weren't some shooting days in the schedule that were done much later that maybe I'd missed, or if maybe if they went further up north, I don't know. But that answer would have been too good to be true. And the moment we cut to the subsequent close-ups and surrounding grounds of the castle, you swiftly realise that this is not real snow, but horrible, awfully synthetic snow, 
with lashings of it sprayed liberally over every surface. It's really unnatural. And then when the camera starts moving and we start seeing background elements that they obviously couldn't cover in snow, the effect is even less realistic. As you can quite clearly see, these bright summertime green trees in the back of the shot. Just like the equally annoying shtick of the single take gimmick in 1917, the whole snow was just incredibly distracting for me and it took away any of that tender saccharine affection that the McCartneys were going for. Shoddy snow aside, we cut two shots of Paul walking around the castle looking all sad and wistful before moving on to this footage of Linda riding one of her horses through the quote-unquote snow with Paul then coming into frame again, uh, helping her dismount and then they both just start fussing the horse. Like, it's the most stereotypical image to focus on ever in a Wings video. Like, of course there's a fucking horse involved. If you were doing your own McCartney-isms bingo here, you could certainly tick off another box. Then, this leads to the, the McCartneys in hand with the horse in tow, walking through the snow. And I'm sure on the day, they again thought that this was going to have the same grandeur and beauty of the footage of the something music video, you know, evoking their love back then. But predictably, there is just none of that weight in this footage whatsoever. I mean, I love this song again, but it's just set against this unending list of shots featuring dull scenery coated in fake snow. Yeah, it's called Winter Rose and you wanted it to look wintry and you were very limited in how much snow you could cover with, you know, the budget and stuff like that. But if you can't do it effectively, then don't do the song or just travel somewhere where there is snow. I mean, after the ball million miles with the castle setting and one quick prop accordion could have been banged out just as quickly and as cheaply, if not more so. But instead, we get this tripe. With a rather dramatic twist, though, I actually rather like how they connect the tepid Winter Rose segment to the Love Awake part, because there was a lot they could have done, seeing as how they were filming in the summer and all that. But rather than transitioning to a warm, sunny day or the Camber Sands again, they instead cut to the band simply performing inside the castle by a roaring fireplace. And I'm so glad they did this because it's both a practical solution, it's thematic, and makes sense within the narrative of the video. I'm not sure if the band actually recorded or played in this room originally when they recorded the album, but it is a sweet little image, and it's a lot more warm and inviting than simply doing something silly in the sunshine. Admittedly, it is just a little bit annoying that it simply just goes back to the band playing the song again. As its own standalone thing, though, it probably would have worked well as its own opposite contrast to the first half but here within the depths of the special it does feel very been there done that and we're only halfway through. The lack of the band doing anything else with the castle environment feels incredibly restrictive and uncreative and only lends to my theory that a lot of this was just simply made up once they had got there. It would have been nice to have a break from all the hero shots from Paul but that is the majority of what we're going to get here. It's going to be Paul strumming his acoustic from this point on with the occasional quick insert from other band members. Copy and paste, copy and paste. Not much else I can comment on, really, as just like Winter Rose, this is pretty darn boring to sit through. The only shot that does stand out during this part is, is during the bit when, um, well, it's what I thought was some sort of tinny harpsichord-esque sound, like a uh, 
when that plays, and it's shown over footage of Lawrence Juba playing his medieval acoustic guitar, and boom, that's when I learned that that particular sound in the song is actually a guitar sound and not a synthesizer or something like that, which was fun to learn. In summary, Winter Rose Love Awake, a little bit all over the place for me, and despite the direction being still quite sure-footed, you know, the shots are competent and everyone's framed quite nicely. The video is still sorely lacking in anything engaging or new or interesting to hold your gaze as an audience. For a song I love so much, it is such a wet duck of a disappointment. And I certainly imagine that this could have been the point that many viewers simply would have chosen to switch channels. Spin it on! Though we're going to pick it up with the next song, as perhaps McCartney had put the dead weight in the first half to get us ready for the next four killer tracks. As Wings will finally be paying homage to their namesake with a rip-roaring rendition of Spin It On. Now, since the last video was half imagery based and half the band simply playing somewhere, it does kind of throw off the order of what the next video is going to be. But Wings are, of course, going to play it safe and simply play in a new locale. Oh, they never disappoint. Like, as I mentioned earlier, this is going to be shot in the same air hangar from earlier with Getting Closer. Though, this time the performance area is decked out in full aeronautical regalia, with parachutes and their strings being draped all over the place. Wings themselves, as Melody Maker reported, are all kitted out in classic World War II leather fluffy-necked bombered flight jackets that in recent years actually have become quite fashionable again, so they were a little behind and ahead of the curve at the same time there. But overall, along with the little intro of the plane coming out of the hangar at the start, it all works well enough as its own little theme, but what's any of it got to do with Spin It On as a song? Well, nothing at all. Not thematically, visually, spiritually, but like it or lump it, this is the theme that we're going to have, you know, planes and pilots, you know, oh, they are wings, do you get it? Planes, pilots, it's a great pun. We all get the joke. Rather like the windscreen wipers illusion line in Getting Closer, I wonder if the choice to film this video in an aircraft hangar wasn't simply because of the literal aircraft hangar line from the song itself. Again, seems likely enough. Anyway, like I said, the video starts with the propeller plane coming out of the hangar, which itself is adorned with the Classic Wings logo, and as the plane trundles on past, adding a nice little touch of production value, Keith's crane comes whooshing down at full speed with a little bit of sped up visual editing there and then to the sound of Steve Holly's erupting drumline BAM! The lights come flashing on and we are away. And 
that's about it in terms of fun stuff in the video for me because yeah, like I said, this is just going to be them singing Spin It On with literally nothing else going on, with no other footage to cut to whatsoever. Well, there are a couple of inserts featuring sped up footage of each bandmate kind of spinning on the spot, aka Spin It On. But aside from that, I sure hope you like footage of Wings figuring out how to do one of these punk rock videos that they've been hearing all about on the box. I mean, that's all this video is. And sadly, I don't think either Keith or Paul are able to pull off that style as good as they think they can. And in the way that the song itself is Macca's own shameless attempt to copy and paste the sounds of the time, the video itself rather appropriately does the same thing with the visuals. The issue here though is that it's all very surface level. Like, everything Keith and Co are doing filmically is kind of up to scratch. You know, there's the punky camera work and the energetic editing choices. And then you have the band who are all jumping around and shaking their heads admirably, I guess. And Paul is clearly having a load of fun screaming his lungs off. But none of it actually gets that crazy or shocking or anti-establishment. And none of it comes across as anything close to genuine either. Maybe if there was some sort of B-plot for us to cut away to, or something else to distract us a little bit, maybe it wouldn't be so noticeable. But no, we are treated to three full minutes of this band desperately trying to be something they aren't. None of them look anything close to natural doing any of this, and all of this fake attitude just comes across as cringeworthy. Spin it on. Yeah, not too much to say about this one, unfortunately. I can remember not being particularly fond of this one when I originally saw the video a few years ago, and sadly, nothing has changed in that time. This one really hasn't aged well, and again, outside of the novelty of seeing Wings mime this song to a backing track, it literally has no rewatch value at all. Again and again and again! Pressing on, and we finally come on to something that I'm sure people at the time thought that they would never, ever see. A music video for a Denny Lane composition. This is again and again and again. Fair representation of Denny Lane was only ever going to be a pipe dream for Wing's secondary songwriter, but here we are, some eight or nine years after the band has been officially formed, and Denny has finally had one of his songs immortalised on the small screen. I mean, No Words, Time to Hide, or Deliver Your Children all would have been better candidates, but Denny never got an A side of a single, so he'll have to take what he can get. Call me cynical, but both Oriental Nightfish and Seaside Woman had film clips at this point. 
And only now, when Paul has a quota of eight total videos, does he actually bother to throw Denny a bone? Still, at least he now has a music video. And Paul is going to allow Denny to have a real standout moment on this special with, with his own elaborate idea and his own solo moment to shine, surely. Uh, well, since the last video was just the band playing on a locale, you would be given for thinking that this would indeed be the prime moment to do something different. But no, this is sadly not going to be the case, as Paul clearly did not want to dip into all that much of the budget on Denny's clip. In fact, he wanted to be so unnecessarily frugal that he didn't even hire a room for them to film in. And instead, probably with no film permits, Denny was going to have to settle for simply filming in a fucking random field somewhere nearby. Okay, credit where credit's due to the location scout, whoever, whoever picked out this field. Though, it was probably one of the people driving up to the castle and noticing it on the way. But it is indeed a very pretty field that they're playing in. You know, an entire field of lovely yellow flowers, actually. And yeah, the band are there with their instruments, with Steve sporting a full drum kit in the dense field, which is quite a funny image. And they're singing the song, and then... Well, nothing. That's just it. That is the entire video. The whole thing is literally just Denny and the gang stood about trying to flatten an entire field for a few minutes. I mean, wow. Talk about a cheap and easy shoot there, guys. Must have taken you and Keith a week to come up with that one, eh? I know I've been bored by the last couple of videos, but my god, have we not seen anything yet. The setting just makes no sense in terms of the song either. And again, it just serves to shake up the locale and perhaps add a little bit of colour into the mix. But again, they're not going to do anything interesting with it because it's just a rush job and they're winging it, no pun intended. Aside from a, a few quirky little moments and interactions that the camera captures that almost feel more like accidents, the footage itself just lacks any sort of life. And out of all of the videos shot, this is the one that feels like the least amount of time or effort or reshoots went into it. Like, I know I've been harsh on a few of these clips, but I've got to be objective here, you know, and what can you say about this clip? What, how, how many ways can I phrase it's just the band playing in a field again and again and again? As I said, one thing that I really was hoping for, regardless of the quality of the video, was going to be that Denny was going to have centre stage for once in his Wings tenure. But sadly, despite nothing going on in this video, Denny still ends up being denied his moment of glory. Of course, we do get a much larger share of Denny Lane close-ups, more than any other time in the Wings oeuvre so far. But Paul is normally never too far away, and they share the screen more than Denny has any solo time. There are so many shots where you can kind of see that Denny thinks he's going to be centre frame, like he's almost stepping away, and then Paul walks into frame almost automatically, and Denny steps back on occasion, and it's this awkward little microcosm of the band and Denny's relationship with Paul, and I just wish Paul would just stand over there. Maybe I'm really too much into it, but hey, it's me, that's Paul or nothing. Though, speaking of McCartney's not playing ball in this one, I must admit, after having just watched the clip again before this podcast, I can't not bring up the fact that Linda is making no effort to look like she's having any fun in this video. Now, again, is this just my over-interpretation? Was she tired from a long shoot? Was it a hint at the tensions within the group at this point? 
or even her thoughts on this particular song in general. From my reading of the text, I'm inclined to go with the latter. It should be noted that despite supposedly being the keyboardist for the band and you know, a set of keyboards isn't that difficult to carry, especially when compared to a drum kit into a big, grassy, muddy field. She is, in fact, not playing keyboards at any point in this music video and basically just stands around sarcastically picking flowers. So that was again and again and again, and it's really hard to write one of these little summary segments for this song without some sort of play on the title. But let's just say that I am in no rush to watch this video again and again and again. Arrow through me. Moving on to the last two tracks of this special now, and all I can say is that the last 25% is essentially going to be visual and audible heroin for me. The first of these two heavy hitters is the funkiest number on the album. Prepare your longbows. This is Arrow Through Me. <laughs> This is a real choice cut here, folks, because after all these naff rock and roll style music videos of the band lolloping about everywhere, we're going to now indulge in some good old fashioned cheesy 70s slash early 80s style music videography. As the most contemporary sounding song on the album, this makes a lot of sense. And to take a break from all of that northern bucolic Limpine Castle imagery and change things up is a welcome one indeed. And thank God they did decide to do that because it was getting stale as fuck. Another rather simple video, as once again we're just gonna be seeing the band playing the song again, with yet again the lion's share of the screen time going to the Big Mac himself. Nothing new to write home about here. However, since the production has moved to Keith & Co's London studio, we're gonna get all the modern filmmaking wizardry that a production company with its own set can provide. Arrow Through Me sets itself apart from the other clips on this special by taking full advantage of the entire panoply of every cheesy pop transition, dissolve, blend and editing technique at their disposal, making this the trippiest thing on the special without going full LSD. You never go full LSD. They still put on one hell of a show though, with multiple exposures, colour filters everywhere, all of this collage layering where multiple bandmates can be on the same screen but at different places at the same time. And just the colour palette, the dark blacks and purples against all those colourful lights is just so incredibly pleasing to watch for me compared to all the generic tat we've been subjected to up north. Whilst it may be corny for some, 
when it's set to that insanely slick baseline and the beat of Arrow Through Me, all of this just clicks and it works in a very knowingly nostalgic and retro sort of way. Even though that, that wouldn't have been the context that it would have been released in, but I can only talk about how the material affects me now. Aesthetically, the closest thing that I could compare this video to would be the music video that Paul and Keith did for Coming Up. Both videos have an energy and an excitement to them that is incredibly similar. Possibly working in Keith's own studio brings out a creative flair in the work behind the camera. Or maybe it's just easier to do it under one roof. But everything about this video just comes across as so much more natural and... It is easily the coolest footage of the band we've come across so far. Maybe it's just because the track itself, the material, is this mid-tempo, funky, groovy track that they can't mug the camera to. Uh, prevents them from being really over the top, but seeing wings in this very understated fashion is so cool. It's, it's the image that would sell me on wings, you know. I would have been absolutely blown away by this kind of thing. And maybe if we'd have seen this earlier on, maybe this special might have been more well-known. Apart from Steve Holly, the only member of the band besides Paul who actually features on the original recording of this song, are all on keyboards for this track. And it was a very interesting choice indeed to place Lawrence Juba in charge of the iconic synth trumpet line. Especially since he comes into the video so fucking late that by the point he actually does show up, I was already convinced that he wasn't going to make an appearance at all. Visually, the shots of all of them on the keyboards, of course, give me Vietnam-esque PTSD flashbacks to the infamous With A Little Luck music video, which I know a lot of you had a lot of fun listening to me review. Um, but that is never a good thing to do, is it? Though, at least this time... Having no audience and no children in the audience uh, only works to the song's benefit as the dark void that, that the band play in along with all of those silly effects just creates this dreamy otherworldly atmosphere that fits the smooth groove of the song excellently. So unlike the last couple of videos that I've watched on here where I haven't had much to say as a negative, well I can only say that the opposite is true here as I can only repeat so many times that I really resonate with this particular 80s-esque style that the video has going for it. I think it is as cool as fuck and it is a great song. It just works for me. And had the next song slash music video not been included on this special, this would have been my pick for the very best of the bunch. But we're gonna move on. Good night tonight! And finally, on Wings's 1979-1981 TV special, along with the final reprise of the fake crowd cheering audio clip, we cap things off with a song that was in fact not a track that was featured on Back to the Egg at all. For those of you who hate non-album singles, this is Goodnight Tonight.
anyone who has followed this podcast for any length of time, they'll be more than aware that I've been passionately in love with the indomitable Wings Swan song that is Goodnight Tonight, and it may very well be my single favourite track from their entire discography. I'm not sure. Um, It's definitely ranking up there with things like Monkberry Moon Delight, but all this just means that the likelihood of me coming into this with a positive bias is very high indeed. I mean, going into this review, the only negative that I can think of is that there isn't an alternate longer version of this music video for the extended mix of the song, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers, and that's really going to be it. It's always nice to end on a high note, and the reason we can, I suppose, is because McCartney, Keith, and the gang just knew how awesome this little promotional clip was, and as with this show, the Back to the Egg TV special ends with a bang. With the sound of that devilishly slick flamenco-style guitar playing us in, we have this great shot of Linda hiding flirtatiously behind a handheld fan, and before you know it, as the camera pans out, you swiftly realise that Wings are suddenly transported back to a very classy, very grand 1920s, 1930s, the great Gatsby-esque setting for them to perform in. The band themselves are fully suited and booted to match the period correctly, with Linda sporting a very fetching purple dress. Uh, Denny has this adorable little, almost Superman-styled, singular curled lock of hair gelled onto his forehead. And Paul, well, Paul just looks so goddamn cool in this one, folks. I'm not sure if it's the suit or the slick-back shellac hair he has, or the weird body movements that he does throughout the video in this setting, but something about his aura here is just utterly captivating for me. This is McCartney doing exactly what he should be. Like, I hadn't seen this clip for a while now, and as soon as it started rolling, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, cool. This is peak pure McCartney. Now yeah, I can hear some of you shouting, but Sam, the Goodnight Tonight video is just the band playing in a new locale. Why aren't you complaining in the same way? Well, firstly, it's a little bit of a moot point to make by now, and in my defence, it is clear that a lot more fucking effort went into the Goodnight Tonight video than any of the other videos we have seen here, bar probably Baby's Request, but that's just because of the scale. Also, around halfway through the video during the musical breakdown, we have the added benefit of cutting to some additional footage of Wings performing in their modern dressed-up contemporary garb. The contrast between these two sets of footage, while simple and rather basic, is extremely effective. On the one hand, we have the very stiff and uptight and professional version of Wings in the 1920s, where they're you know, acting very reserved and calmly, and it, you know, it's all set in this very still and evenly lit environment, with the camera work being very smooth and graceful. And then you cut to the contemporary 1979 Wings, who have these crazy light displays, the cameras, the cameras moving all over the place, and the band themselves become their electric onstage crazy personas. It's an interesting blend of calm and chaos, and whilst I'm not sure there's any actual point to it thematically, it still holds your attention firmly, and by God, everything actually feels like a professional music video. In terms of little things, there's just so much fun for me to like in this, you know. The rest of the bandmates do get their own individual moments here and there, which is always nice, 
We get some more dueling guitar with Denny and Lawrence. They seem to have progressed slightly from their work on the Spin It On and getting closer music videos. Like Lawrence definitely feels a lot more at home on screen. There's also a nice little swap where they do uh, actually cut to them with their gorgeous acoustic guitars for the disco dance segment later on. Steve Holly as well also does this really serious face during all of his drumming parts in the 1920s era, which I think is intentionally meant to be funny, and if it is, well done. Something that did stick out to me about this music video, and it's something that's always uh, kind of bugged me about Goodnight Tonight, um, you know those really weird vocals kind of towards the end of the song where it's all right, you know, all of that. I haven't looked into it too deeply, uh, I haven't gone on lyric sites and checked out what they think it is, but it's always been a bit of a mystery to me. And in the video, Denny, Linda and Lawrence all get up to the mic and mime those particular phrases that you hear in the song, in time. So they must have lyrics and must mean something somewhere. And I can't believe such a vital part of a song that I absolutely adore is still such a mystery to me. If you have any ideas as to what the lyrics in the kind of warbled synth parts of Goodnight Tonight are, please drop me an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com or hit me up on the Twitter, which is at McCartneyPod. Paul himself has a lot of great standout moments in this one also. I've already mentioned his, his, his weird body language in this one, and you've really got to watch out for it in this one. But aside from the absolute pleasure of seeing Paul's weird one-off Yamaha five-string bass guitar, when we cut to quote-unquote modern Paul, there's this shot where he's like hunched over his bongos, basically like resting his chin on them, banging them like crazy, and looking left and right with his eyes darting left and right like the shifty dog in The Simpsons. And it is just hilarious for me. Like, I love that shot. I do need to make a gif of it and put it on the Twitter at some point, because it does make me smile every time I see it. I also have to make one as well of Paul's little two-step dance that he does in this one really quick shot in the 1920s part that I really like as well. Speaking of all of that, you know, depression-era setting stuff, Paul can't fool us. We all know exactly what that part of the music video is. It's just an another excuse for McCartney to live out his vaudeville, tin pan, alley fantasy whilst also supposedly doing his day job. He did it with Gotta Sing, Gotta Dance for the James Paul McCartney TV special, and now he's doing it again. But the difference here is that A, this whole video is just done well on every single level, and B, it's not cheesy. Whilst it does indulge in McCartney's particular quirks, it does so without compromising on the band's integrity or credibility. Like, there are innumerable bands where this kind of concept would have been terribly tacky and kitsch, with Wings being at the very top of that list. But, as always, when push comes to shove, Wings can suddenly put aside the fact that they are quite a bit naff and lame on occasion, and deliver something that truly ranks amongst the best content in Macca's entire career. There's nothing particularly complex or deep about why this music video works more so than any of the others. As I said, every single element from the production design, the costumes, the performances of the band, the editing, all of it is on top form, and it actually does everything in its power to make sure Paul McCartney and Wings appear to be a band worth taking seriously, exploring, and investing in as viewers. Yes, again, this is in part due to the excellent song backing up the clips, but the music video format is quite a symbiotic relationship, and, and on the eve of the MTV generation, the final product 
of the Goodnight Tonight music video is quite simply one of the best advertisements they could ever have hoped for, you know, had they not broken up a year later. The video then ends with the stage, that 1920s version of the stage that Wings were performing on, uh, starting to revolve like one of those secret entrance bookshelves or something like that. And on the back of the stage, as they start to disappear, is written the words, Good night in neon lights. It's a nifty way to end the video, though I still don't know why they don't write Good night tonight on it, but oh well. The special then ends with the same stinger from the beginning, with Wings watching as the hatch looking down upon the earth closes, and then they get up, and rather strangely, this was probably the most shocking thing that happened to me in the entire special, they don't just go and stand in the background, they actually leave and walk out of the door, which uh, I, I never even knew there was a door in the Back to the Egg universe, so that blew my mind. Roll credits. And there we are, folks, that was the Back to the Egg TV special. Golly gee, that was certainly a uh, unique experience, to say the least. I know this is a music video review episode, but I can't avoid summarising the package as a whole in the way that it was originally meant to be presented, you know? If it had transpired that this thing was shelved and never released, a la something like the Bruce McMahon show, I would not have been entirely surprised. And I'm going to say this from the position as a man who loves both the Bruce McMahon show and many of the music videos in this. As with all Wings product, there is a certain charming ramshackle quality to the whole thing, where the charm is, in part, due to the whole thing seemingly being held together by gaffer tape. But still, this is not a product that I would buy outside of my own personal need to be a completionist collector. Not that any of this is available, of course. I had to watch it on Vimeo and some Russian website, but it will obviously soon be repackaged and repurposed with the Back to the Egg McCartney Archive Edition sometime in the future after we get Flaming Pie later this year, so we won't have to wait too long, hopefully. Truthfully, I do not have all that many reference points to go by in terms of other things that were going on around the time of the Back to the Egg TV special, like were there many other specials like this? How far had the music video format come in terms of being shown in people's homes? You know, that kind of thing I'm a little bit hazy on. And I am sure, I am sure that many, many people saw this and absolutely loved it. And I'm sure many people saw it and were quite indifferent to it. And, you know, as with many, many things, some people, I assume, didn't like it. I haven't been able to find any reviews of this specifically, any clippings or anything. I would love if anyone could find anything from like a newspaper or something about this special. That would be but overall, what I can say about this special from my own perspective is that, with ex you know, extreme certainty, this thing has not aged particularly well. And bar my particular favourites being Baby's Request, Arrow Through Me and Goodnight Tonight, uh, the footage is more or less unsalvageable in terms of material that you could potentially re-release today. Of course, the majority, if not all, of these individual songs are available separately on YouTube anyway, and all without the annoying crowd sound effects as well, which is a bonus. So for now, I guess, watching these clips online and as individual pieces of content rather than as a lengthy, sluggish whole is the best way to watch any of it. Most notably, the video for Old Siam Sir recently actually got the Vivo HD remastering restoration treatment, and all credit where credit is due, the footage does look pretty incredible. Again, going back to Metallica and their Hardwired to Self-Destruct album, which again had a music video for every song, 
And had the internet been around in the time of Wing's tenure, I'm sure they would have done something very similar with the format. And as tacky as this special is, in all fairness again, it's a little ahead of its time in terms of marketing a single album. Would I buy Back to the Egg based on this special? I'm not entirely sure, but I certainly would have bought the single of Goodnight Tonight slash Daytime Nighttime Suffering. So I guess it kind of works as an advertisement even to this day. And there we are, folks. That was our review of the Back to the Egg TV special. I hope you all enjoyed that. Thank you so much for listening and downloading and even getting to this part. Next episode will be part one of my Press to Play review and part two with my chat with Ken Marcos where we go through all of the songs. That will be out very, very shortly after as well. Thank you all so much for listening, folks. If you liked or didn't like any of these music videos, please also let me know on our email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hit me up on the Twitter, which is at McCartneypod. Like I say, check out the blog, which is www.paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com and check out our Patreon down below. Become a patron, support the show, and just, in general, be one of the coolest people ever. Yeah, I am sure Denny Lane has already been playing us out for some time right now, but as always, everyone, take care. Keep listening to Paul. Peace and love, peace and love. Have a lovely day and play us out, Denny. The thing is, the reason why we haven't put it on the album, although the record company has asked us to, uh, over here and in America, is that we didn't think it really fitted with the album. And we'd taken up all the time on the album. And to put the full version on would have meant we'd have to put seven more minutes on the thing. So we didn't feel like that it really fitted in with the style of music that's on Back to the Egg. It's a, it's a slightly different buzz, the whole thing. It was all done at a different time. And so we decided not to include it. So, um, I hope you don't mind. Don't say it.